0: Wednesday, March 30th, we were down in Reston, Virginia, hosted by the National Journalism Center for a live taping of Take Back Our Schools. We had two terrific guests, former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker and Mama Bear extraordinaire and parent activist Asra Nomani. This was a terrific conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. But I want to talk about schools and education and what we can do and all these issues that we all know about uh, in this country. So if I don't mind, I'm gonna start with you, Governor Walker. So you were governor eight years, mm-hmm. 2011, I think 2019, yep. state of Wisconsin, pre-COVID issues, yeah. pre-school closures, pre-George Floyd BLM, yeah. pre-CRT at least, the, you know that everybody knows about CRT. So I, I'm curious, how big of an issue was education during your governorship? How big of an issue was education to the people of Wisconsin during that time period?
1: H- huge issue, um, but the, uh, the interesting part was we thought we took the battle and was aggressive in the battle at the time about a decade ago. Both my kids, uh, kind of like Emily alluded to, both my sons were in school at the time. I've got a, a 27 and 26 year old. Both were in government run schools in Wauwatosa where we raised them. Uh, we looked around, we looked at private schools, looked at the schools there for what they wanted to do like that. So as a parent, I saw it, but also as uh, an elected official, you know, as an elected official saw it as well. And uh, the big thing we did uh, with what uh, is now known as Act 10 uh, was really take the power out of the hands of the big government teachers unions and put them firmly back in the hands uh, of the people and the people they duly elect. And where that had the biggest impact was in our schools. Uh, because for decades in Wisconsin, as it is largely around the country, uh, the school boards, re- administrators really weren't running things. It was the teachers' union. Uh, and so by changing that, we put the power back in their hands, the people c- that were locally accountable, uh, or at least seemingly accountable at the time to, to take action. And we got rid of seniority, got rid of tenure. Uh, schools could hire based on merit, they could pay based on performance, they could put the best and the brightest in the classroom. And at the time, the national unions sent literally tens of thousands of people in their capitals, about 100,000 people at one point over, overcame and, and occupied the capital. Uh And they claimed the education was going to fall apart. And here you are, years and years later, and the, uh, the graduation scores, ATC scores, other things like that are still very strong there. What we didn't foresee uh, was that as we empo- took the power out of the hands of the big government union bosses and put them in the hands of the people and the people they elect, that in so many places, not just in our biggest, largest urban areas, but sometimes in suburban, even rural areas, as we see across the country now, that those school boards would still be intimidated, even if they weren't legally obligated under collective bargaining, intimidated both by unions and increasingly by radical activists, some of whom were embedded in themselves within their their institutions. And so it was a huge issue, it still is a a huge issue. Uh, Back then, changing it was a monumental change But to me, it was the first of two steps. One was taking power out of the hands of one entity and putting it back into the hands of the people at the local level. The next step is to say, what more can be done to now take that power and not just have it in the hands of school board members, but ultimately of parents of students within those given communities.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you know that um, the headline today on Fox News um, by Ian Pryor, a local activist, is literally... This school district might be the worst violator of parental rights. Woke bureaucrats in the Badger State yeah. have launched an all out assault on parental rights. So this is how they are now moving forward that incredible work that you did. They, they've embedded themselves in some ways with white privilege tests and all, uh, all of these, um, you know, secrets that they keep from the parents. Just like you say, they've embedded themselves.
1: Well, we saw initiative? that precisely, and Eau Claire was a good example, yes. it might be the case if That's the case, exactly. Yeah. Where they purposely, you actually saw that they did a whole training session for teachers, an in, in, in-house uh, training session that was supposedly to begin with about a diversity, inclusion, and all the other okay. things we heard about. Certainly a white privilege was a part of it, but then, uh, for example, on students talking about their what their gender might be, right. Uh, they expressly said that parents should not be told
2: keep it a secret from exactly. your parents
1: and that they hadn't i think the, the comment was they hadn't earned the right uh to be told that uh e- even though it was all different age groups out there and i think it just fundamentally goes to the heart of what right. we're seeing certainly you're a part of which is you know forget my language on this but i, I said after last year don't piss off parents right uh, because regardless of political beliefs it wasn't just conservative or republican yeah. parents it's parents across the political spectrum said no, no 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 those of you, Terry McAuliffe just said out loud what too many other people say behind closed doors. Right, And that was they don't think parents have the right uh, to get involved in their kids' education, or as we increasingly see, even may uh, have a right to be involved in their personal decisions, yeah. on their health care, on their their medical decisions, on their educational right. decisions, or increasingly even on their gender decisions.
2: Yeah, the folks um, in the listening audience don't know that my shirt says mama bear movement, <laughs> because beyond anything yeah. else, when we get, bring our babies into the world, we become mama bears and papa bears. and
0: It is mostly mama bears. So. <laughs>
2: We, we depend there 's a few oh, dads right oh, there's a
0: few there's only a few of us it 's
2: really funny that what we say is that when the papa bear right. shows up, you know you 're in trouble yeah. because <laughs> you know that the mama bears are out there every day right we 're like vigilant we 're calling the school district right. and then when the dad shows up like a dad just across the border here in is Prince it? William county, his um, poor daughter was sexually assaulted and he ended up coming in with his his Um, construction worker here, you know, and same thing across the district in Loudoun County. Um, The father who was then prosecuted.
1: Right, he's the one that gets yes. nailed for all yes. this. Right. The security comes and takes him out, which I think opened, I was just talking about this the other day, someone was asking about forgive me, we're just jumping all over no, Is that no, alright? No, is good? that no, okay? It's not, it's okay per, great. But you know, with what Governor DeSantis signed the other day, which again, many in the national media completely destroyed. So don't what, say, the, the, the quote-unquote, don't say gay which bill, was which is primal. not at all what that doesn't is. Doesn't say right. at all, okay. it doesn't say a word of it in here, yet right. you have Hollywood elites and many in the so-called media who don't bother to actually read the bill, right. uh, and instead realize this is is very much a parental rights bill. Right. So this is um,
0: about keeping inappropriate, mostly keeping inappropriate. So you know, uh, kindergarten yeah. to third yeah. grade. third grade. Right. You
1: shouldn't teach okay. anything about sex in right. kindergarten. In kindergarten through third grade, you should teach kids how to respect each other and how to read, to write, uh, the yeah. basic understanding of how to be prepared for a lifetime of education. Instead, they're teaching all this other nonsense. And that's what DeSantis and lawmakers in, in Florida were talking about. But the, the person who asked me about it on one of the TV shows said, well, you know, is this going to happen elsewhere? And I said, I already did. Virginia right and and where they really didn't get is exactly what you talked about it wasn't just CRT which is a whole nother discussion which is a legitimate issue to be concerned about it goes to the heart of what you said in Loudoun County when you have a parent father or mother coming to hear what was going on then hear them outright lie about what would happen when he knew that his daughter had been sexually assaulted yeah and if uh, people
2: don't know the story it was a dad named Scott Smith and He went to the school of his daughter and learned that there had been an assault. And at the school, he was told that there was rape. And then he lost it, like most parents would, and they ended up calling the police on him. So I've got some breaking news for you guys. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Because I feel like…
1: It's a live podcast. I know. And
2: and the, the journalists, aspiring journalists in the room will appreciate this. So I want you guys to look at this documentation that I provided, tell me what what do you read that it's about?
1: A release on summons.
2: Okay, and here's the summons. What's the name that you see, who is accused there?
1: The accused is Harry Randall Jackson.
2: So, ah, we heard an uh uh-oh from someone in the audience. Because she knows, I mean, this is the story of America today. Everything is local. Politics is local. So this is a local mom who just said, "Uh uh-oh. Because who is Harry Jackson? Harry Jackson is a black father in Fairfax County, where we're sitting right now who has been with me and all the other parents since day one in our fight to protect merit at Thomas Jefferson High School mm-hmm. for science and technology. And the reason his support has been so important is because they put a target on Asian families and Asian kids. Yeah. But this is a man who they were supposedly helping his kid, the black child and the Hispanic children that they were trying to get into the school, which we all always should uplift all kids. Sure. But his race doesn't protect him anymore because he's an inconvenient minority. So this, if you can believe it, is a criminal summons for Harry for a tweet that he posted against one of the activists who has been been coming after our families. And guess what? It's a criminal misdemeanor for defamation this old law that none of the prosecutors are actually supposed to prosecute because guess what they would use that criminal law against? Journalists. Like this is so unconscionable that the um, prosecutor has decided to actually pursue this case.
1: Particularly on Twitter. Because anybody yes. who follows Twitter knows about three-quarters yeah. of the tweets on Twitter could be defamation of character. Right, exactly. Um, some worthy, actually, and some not. Right. Uh, but, but, I mean, just how absurd that is. Isn't
2: that absurd? Yeah. And, and this is a But same?
1: selective enforcement. Right. If you're Will Smith uh, or Rick or uh, Chris Rock, forget about it. Uh, they're not going to do anything. But yeah. if you're a father speaking out on issues that the left doesn't want you speaking out about. Yeah. You're
2: out. just like just like in Loudon County what they did is they, they didn't immediately prosecute the child and keep him out of the schools they ended up prosecuting the father and, and this is I, I think what's happening is the Justice Department put a target right on the backs mm-hmm. of parents calling us a, a domestic kid, terrorist domestic terrorist. and the
1: school boards are saying what well, yes you know, which is why thank God so many school board associations at the state level got out of the national school boards because they said what are you talking about yeah we say we want parents involved in schools. How can we do that and call them domestic terrorists?
2: Yeah, and you know, lesson with so many young journalists here is that we ended up finding out the truth about the National School Board Association letter through Freedom of Information Act yeah. requests and finding that, in fact, you know, this front organization had not checked in with their members, right. like they were basically doing what happens in Washington, trying to basically do AstroTurf, you know, and claim that they were representing thousands upon thousands of school board members. But now this kind of target has been shifted, it seems, to the local level with local prosecutors going after parents. Well, it's
1: all about intimidation. We saw that when we did what we did in Wisconsin. It's why they brought 100,000 people to our capital. They wanted to intimidate us. You see it with parents. I actually would say it's broader than just going after parents. I think there's most teachers even in government-run institutions want to do the right thing. They just want to teach a basic education. They want to prepare children out there. But they're intimidated, whether it's by their union or other teachers. I think most school board members are in that room. But, but it's the, this loud element out here that intimidates people. And if we don't stand up to them, then we're complicit in, in that as well. It's you certainly stood right. up, for, So you're certainly on the right track.
0: Yeah,
2: I think we are on the correct side of history. <laughs> I mean, the last year, there's been an
1: enormous point. amount of, of parents
0: speaking up. You know, my background is on the private school side, mm-hmm. where it is that much harder to do that. It's almost impossible to get parents to speak up because you're afraid of getting your kid kicked out of school, which yeah. in public school they can't do. Um, you're afraid of losing your social circle. The, you know, the, the, the wealthier board members are the least likely to speak up in these private schools. Yeah. So it's that much harder. Does Harry still have a kid at the school? Yep. And how is, do you have any sense for how they treat the kid? I mean, is it, is it, is he okay? I think that okay. the
2: son is okay. He has another daughter in the school system, but this is exactly how they want to intimidate. When I went to the school board meeting two weeks ago to mm-hmm. tell them to their face that they were the new face of racism, they then had security guards come at me from every direction. And it was only our moms from, India, China, Peru who stood up and spoke up and pointed their finger at the school board 120 democrats on our school board so it's again the machine
0: mm.
2: yelled and yelled at them racist 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 and you know what they did
0: what they did they ran. They, ran. <laughs> they
2: okay. ran, 15 minute recess all right. of a sudden right. because what were we gonna do, jump the wall? You know, th- th- just a group of moms, but they're so afraid of us because we're ex- exposing little by little that machine that showed up at your capital. I didn't know that it was a teacher's union that, it's so, it's so interesting to hear that and just connect the dots because, A lot of times, you you know, you don't care until it matters to you. And now I know the full story. Well, it
1: it ties in what you're talking about with parents as well. We we were talking about this before. The Wisconsin report just came out a couple weeks ago that showed that uh, in the last 20 years, no state has seen a larger drop in union membership. Uh It's overwhelmingly government-run unions, and it's overwhelming the teachers union. Because like I said, most teachers in their heart get an education for the right reasons. Yeah but they're intimidated. They get intimidated by others in the teacher's lounge, by the union. Right. And so they, they, they back away from the things that they know to be true and believe in. And so we saw this, you give people freedom, you give them the freedom to choose. They said, no, I don't wanna be a part of this. I, not only do I not wanna pay the $1,500 in right. dues I gotta pay at the state and the local level, now I, I can go out and do my thing. And, and oftentimes they say, I don't wanna be aligned with an organization whose views are contradictory to my very own. The irony is many of the, the very union leaders who get worked up about government-run schools, you go back and look, particularly in urban areas, they send their kids to private schools. Right. Uh, so the absolute hypocrisy of, of all that, but that's a similar standard to what they're playing with parents, with school boomers and others. It's the, the loud few, the loud minority of, right. of folks who speak out, who intimidate all the rest. And what they're really concerned about are parents like you, we're stepping up and, and joining with others saying, we're not going to be intimidated. Yeah, our children are too important. Yes,
2: yeah, some of the best advice I got in the summer of 2020, I, I was just go, having a flashback because the activists in our community, you know, we ended up, I was able to see their private Facebook posts, you know, and, and in that private Facebook post, they talked about wow how could they agitate and one of their ideas was to occupy TJ so when you were talking mm-hmm. about that like that's what i remembered as those scary scenes you know when they go into buildings and i was like oh my gosh they they want to even contemplate going into a school to pursue cool. their activism but you actually made a really important point that everybody has to know i, I was just going to say that that this dad told me that summer he said you have to be unapologetic you, you cannot right. be shamed for your values. But it's hard because people are calling yeah. you racist. Yeah. Or they're
0: calling you whatever the names that they're calling you. So we have to it's flip
2: not- it. That's what we did that night. Mm-hmm. These amazing moms. You know, one of the moms is a mom named Yu Yan. And she literally stood in Tiananmen Square. Oh. Yeah. Standing up to the Chinese oppression, right? Right. So just imagine that in the summer of 2020 then, she was having flashbacks. Oh, yeah because of the tyranny, you know, this is a tyranny and they are, this, the schools end up now putting these teachers through this re-education camps. So I, I brought a couple examples, look at this one. Um, tell me how, this is one of the um, speakers that came to Fairfax County to re-educate our teachers. Who's, who is the speaker?
1: Right Dr. Kindai, Ken, so $15,000 for exploring equity, diversity, and inclusion. Only 15. Tell His us,
0: fees are a lot higher. Tell right us now. who he is. Ibram Kendi. Who is he? He's, he's the leading guru of anti-racism and yep. DEI and makes an awful lot of, all awful of money off the taxpayers. Right? Ex- oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. And what does he get now? He gets at least, I think, $20,000 for yep. an hour. And this was right.
2: one hour virtual. Can you just imagine? So I did the check, and that is.
0: And he's an anti-capitalist.
2: Yes, of right?
0: Course. right. All these people, they don't, they don't like capitalism. But I love the like right, the But Marxist, they make a lot of money. It's
1: like the Marxist <laughs> mansions that you see from the BLM oh, organizers. Oh yeah, right. exactly. That's exactly right.
2: Yeah, and he, I like the fine print. If he flew somewhere, it had to be first class.
0: Of course. Of course. Right?
1: Of course.
2: The anti racism must be first class.
0: It must be.
1: How it's, Virginia it's the checkoff be- list, though, right? I mean, it's yeah. you see it not only in schools, increasing in corporations now, it's the checkoff list. Instead of yeah. having real discussions of, about race right. Uh, right. And, and, and issues, in some cases more often than others, need to be addressed but not with this mindset of reversing it and right. doing i mean for all the talk obviously many have referenced this before but i still think being not too far from the ball thinking about the ultimate dream that dr king had that his children grow up yeah in a country where yeah. they'd be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And yet we're doing just the flip of that yes. and, and paying people to do it. Well, they, they say now colorblindness is actually racist. Right. Because
0: it means you're ignoring these issues. And by ignoring these issues, you're really a racist. I mean, this is how far this has gone.
2: So this is I love, as you can tell, I love show and tell. So I brought here <laughs> this is it's this thing. It's called the bead activity. OK, and okay. It, it was literally an activity in Missouri mm-hmm. t- to teachers. Again, re-education camp. What is the bead color breakdown, Andrew?
0: Read the colors. Yeah, read right. the colors. Okay, black bead. Just the colors. You want me to read the actual. read
2: read what they represent. All
0: right, black beads: individuals that identify as black or and or African American. Brown beads: individuals that identify as Latinx, Latino, Hispanic. White beads: individuals that identify as white. Yeah. Blue beads: individuals that identify as Native or Indigenous. Red beads: individuals that identify as Asian or Asian American purple beads individuals that identify as Middle Eastern and or Arab and orange beads individuals yes. that identify as biracial or multiracial. Is
2: that, what not that unbelievable? It is. This is America. Well, it, this is well, is an, well but that's
1: this is, the scary right. part is yeah. that as Oops. kids, I don't know how many other folks, I, certainly we did, but I know that's even more true for people who didn't, weren't just born here, but who came here from other places. We were taught that you're right. Americans. You're Americans. Exactly. Right. But we've gotten so, so far image. away from that, right? Yeah. The, the, right?
0: I don't know when we, we the melting pot that Right, you know, this was country of immigrants. We're all a melting pot. We're all supposed to go with these American fundamental values. Right, right. completely gone away from that. I mean, they, the, the issues of education are so much bigger. Yeah, they decided
2: just, at one point. I remember I was told by these activist types, "Oh, we're not a melting pot. We're a salad bowl, salad and everybody's right. separate." And so the bead exercise was literally one in which you're supposed to put the bead of the color of that matches your friends or who your family mm-hmm. is, and put it on a pipe cleaner so that you could see your own racism. And bigotry mm, right. and right and our lives are so complicated and they we do not get you know um uh, brought down to the level of being beads, to your point about Martin Luther King. Like I do not think that he would enjoy an exercise Well,
1: and like it that. defies, you know, for those listening to the podcast can't see it, but we're standing, we're uh, seated right behind, or in front of a flag there. Yeah. And I always think of the flag. The US flag. Right, the US flag, so right. red, white, and blue, but it's actually, if you look at it, it's many different threads. So the threads are different, uh, but but they're very much like the the model of America, which is e pluribus unum, yeah. out of many come one. And so we each have our own individual characteristics. Part of that is our race or ethnicity or gender, but but there's so much more to individual that's that's a part of who they are as an individual. But then together we come together right. and, and that's where we're woven together, where we have shared experiences, shared civic rituals, shared traditions right. that we have as Americans that, that really are bonded by that sense of freedom and opportunity for everyone. These mm-hmm. sorts of exercises tear that all apart.
2: Right, they divide us. And you know, for me, um, we were talking about my journalism and for me, this journey to becoming an activist on these issues and writing about it came out of my journalism. And I worked at the Wall Street Journal for 15 years. And like a lot of journalists, we ignored the State Department warning after 9-11 and we flew to Pakistan. And so there in Pakistan, my dear friend um, was also reporting. His name was Danny Pearl, jur- journalist. And Danny came to my house that I had rented in Karachi, Pakistan. Um, and. And Danny went off for an interview, like any other interview, but he didn't come back. He was kidnapped and brutally beheaded. And the excuse that was used by the militants was that he was Jewish, that he was American. And that's when I felt deep in my heart, you know, the ultimate... uh, cost of sectarianism. It's humanity. It's mm-hmm. this beautiful human being who couldn't then see his own baby born into the world just doing his job as a journalist. And and this bead activity, this critical race theory division of people is a, a sectarianism that a lot of immigrants like ourselves fled. You know, we, oh. we wanted this entire... Dynamic that you've described so beautifully. Well,
1: and the sad reality is, we think about you know decades and decades ago, Marxists tried to uh, insert themselves into American culture, and yeah. for a while, even you know, going into the 1980s, there was some thought that soviet stout communism might um, triumph over American-based uh, market-driven capitalism. But but part of the reason why it didn't succeed before, even more recently, was because we're not a class-based society in America. Well we certainly have our distinctions in that. You know, Ronald Reagan, whose picture is up, again, for people in the podcast can't see it, one of the paintings on the wall here, grew up in a town of Dixon, Illinois, a small town in the middle of the country, alcoholic father, in and out of work, never owned their own homes, moved five times just in that small town alone, goes to a small community college, works through a bunch of odd jobs in the radio ends up being a B report, or B actor, which means kind of the opening act for a concert, right. um, and, and ends up being not just president, but arguably the most impactful president of, of the latter half of this last century. Why I say all that is, someone like that can grow up in there. You don't have to go to Ivy League schools, you don't have to be in a certain class. So socialism, Marxism didn't work. So now what are they doing? They're coming back at it through race and sex right. and gender, trying to pit one group right. of Americans yes. versus another. Yeah. And that's why I think so many parents are standing up and saying, no, Yeah. particularly for those who've come here from other countries. That's what we fled, exactly what you said. Yeah. We don't want that. We know that that doesn't work, and we're gonna stand up and, and take a stand to make sure it doesn't happen here.
0: Well, the most, I mean, the most powerful, I got a lot of letters after my a lot of emails from around mm-hmm. the country. I mean, the most powerful ones by far were people who grew up in the former Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, or, when, or families went through the Cultural Revolution in China, right. and they all said the same thing. They're almost identical. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen this movie before. We fled that. We never thought this was happening in America. This is happening in America, right? Which is which is terrifying.
2: Yeah, and you know, to to your guys' point, if I look at the image of Ronald Reagan in today's privilege test. You know, he has to check the box as man of great privilege, right? But,
0: Cisgender white male. Yes. Right?
2: Exactly. And that's not fair. You know, I, I, could, I could check off many um, boxes of, of oppression. Mm-hmm. I'm Muslim. I'm a woman. Um, I'm a single mom, uh, an immigrant. English was my second language. We lived in poverty when I was a child. That's at least half a dozen, you know, in the privilege walk. But I don't want it. It's not good But you're still society. a white supremacist.
0: Oh yeah, It doesn't exactly. matter. None of that matters, right? right. You're Be- still white surprises. Because my
2: son went to TJ, I am white <laughs> right. adjacent right. now. That's their argument. This is, this is privilege bingo that they played mm-hmm. in um, Fairfax County Public Schools. It is literally a bingo card. And look at who they even put in as a, chi- as a child of privilege.
1: Military kid. Military right. kid.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, you've been moved all over. Yes. Uh, you've never had settled up in Roots, but somehow you're privileged because yeah. of that. Because your parents, had the audacity to serve their country.
2: Right, and that's, that's why everybody has to join us you know, in this struggle. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be across the spectrum because the classic liberals need to be in this fight, the conservatives, Everybody, because ultimately this is a loss of humanity. So,
1: well, and the good news is you know, you're right, you have to, you can't be complacent, no matter right. whether you're a parent, your grandparent, your aunt, and your uncle, you're just a concerned citizen. You a gotta, neighbor. You gotta yeah. be engaged. Yeah. Because as I talked about before, we see it in the schools, we see it elsewhere. I believe, I don't have these exact percentages, but my guess is about 15, 20% of, of the radicals drive so much of this in schools and institutions. Yeah, I've always said 15, I think that's right. Yeah. right? And so they're I driving could, everything. And, and, if, and well, for your
2: data, I was just going to say, if you look at the San Francisco recall, yeah. overwhelmingly right. 70% of that liberal progressive city's yeah. pi- voters voted three of the most radical school board members out. So that's at least 30% of the... Of the progressive side that are only the radical
1: but it's a prime example where when people step up and say oh wait a minute this this doesn't pass the smell test and instead of sitting back comfortably watching others do something about it yeah, you don't have to lead the charge you just got to be a part of you don't have to be the one but it's hard but you know
2: who led led the charge there A, a man named Shiva who was not even on green card in the spring of 2021, when his (coughs) children were struggling Mm -hmm. in school because they weren't returning the kids to school. An immigrant from India who saw his boy's suffering and went to the um, post office. What was the neighborhood that they had all the hippie? um, I I know you know that, right, (laughs) Scott? (laughs) I Hate Ashbury. He went to the post office there and dropped off the packet for the recall. I mean, and and then, and he was risking his own, you know, status status in America and you're taking on the people in power, but he did it and they worked so hard and then they won this election overwhelmingly.
1: Which is a huge reminder, like I said, don't piss off parents.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: But somehow we let this, this 15%, very loud. I mean, woke, very progressive. Whatever you want to call it, they've co-opted the Democratic Party. Right. They've yeah. taken over K through 12 education. They've taken over universities, especially elite universities. They've taken over now Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. We saw some news with Disney, and their wokeness yesterday yeah. on Twitter. Um, federal government, the military. And this is now co-opted and corrupted almost every aspect In of America, it, which which is scary. I mean, would you agree with that? and and. and what do we do? I mean, other than just saying, parents, it, please show up at your local school boards
2: I mean, it's, and fight.
0: I mean, what, what do we to do me, about this?
2: I, I always have hope. Like, we must believe, th- believe that common sense mm-hmm. will prevail. Because entire institutions of of america other countries have have had incorrect policies you know we there was a time when our nation was divided with segregation and it shouldn't have been right there was a time when women didn't have the rights that we have today but it transformed it changed and we i i absolutely believe that we will win because ultimately the other side's ideas are not only bad but they're corrupt and we will just expose them and challenge them and common sense will prevail.
1: I, I couldn't agree with more. Agree? Again, okay, with the great. podcast, people can't see it, the audience can. Next to the painting I referenced before is a painting of Washington uh, you yeah. know, in the, in the, the, the cold the of winter, crossing the Delaware. And you think about how many times, actually I've thought about him a lot and the president of Ukraine lately, uh, yes. thinking that's the closest thing we can see on earth today to what Washington must've been like at that time. But yeah. through insurmountable odds, and all throughout our history, not just the Revolutionary War—you think of the Civil War—no nations come back with that kind of division. And yet, uh, you know, Lincoln had the foresight to, to malice towards none to, to bring the country back together again. We fought two world wars. One of the biggest, uh, beyond the, the obvious problems we're talking about, I even think the last two years with all the shutdowns and COVID, we haven't taught our children. Um, any sort of resilience, because they don't know American history. They don't know we've made it through things like this before, even really practical things like the Spanish flu uh, a century ago, but but they don't understand that. Those of us who follow history, as right. you were referencing, realize, no, we've made this through, and what's allowed us to overcome a massive challenges has been, a belief in pur- a purpose, a right. belief in something that was greater than ourselves. And I think that's what this is. And so, practically speaking, at the school level, it's, it's, it's you know, you can take it different ways. Show up at your school room meeting, run for the school yourself, push back on this. Everything that draws the light, you know. Right. Uh, hatred can't drive out hatred, uh, only, only love can do that. Darkness can't drive. Uh, darkness only light can do that. And so, the more light we shine on things, whether it's showing up at a school board meeting, running for the school board, if they don't listen, uh, that's your first step: homeschool, private school, look at whatever options are available, and then get with others to make a change. It's part of the reason why we do what we do at Young America's Foundation is not just to hold cool conferences, but to train young people to lead, be leaders, right. go back to their schools and their campus and their communities to be leaders in uh, the uh, next generation leaders in the fight for freedom. And we, we've all we've got to encourage not only our children to do that, but we've got to show that ourselves.
2: We have to model it, absolutely. Right. You know, I'm looking out at our, our um, guests that are here and looking at these lovely young faces and remembering when I came to DC, you know, as an intern, and the first story that I did um, as in high school journalism was about the school board battle that was happening. Really? I got a scoop. Yeah, okay. the local paper <laughs> okay. had to follow my scoop. And um, I don't
0: know. You've been covering this that long. Oh yeah, okay. I know.
2: I know. I've been there. I think people have died off of this beat that while well, I've been following it. Okay. But um, it's it's so much about just the value of journalism in this also. And no journalist should be facing, you know, even criminal charges like this parent is now for, for any activity that they do in, this, in the profession. But what journalists have the opportunity to do is shed light and, and ask questions, tough questions at these school boards and these school districts. I wanna a okay.
1: great, great way with that too is, is, another reminder for people being involved is, and you, great way you described it from a journalistic standpoint, it's not that you have to show up and yell and scream right. and throw things. In fact, that's actually more often not counterproductive, right. uh, but instead asking questions. Yeah. Uh, I remember when we were in the midst of our protest, uh, one of the, I had a security detail as, a, as governor and one of the, uh, the people in my detail's son was a student at one of the University of Wisconsin campuses. And he'd play this game where they were getting recall petition signatures for me. He'd stand about 10 feet away and he'd play a game and he'd ask them three questions. Well, why'd you sign that? Oh, well, because Governor Walker's awful. Well, why is he awful? Well, he's hurting education. How's he hurting education? Well, go away, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, And what you found is, if you're probing questions as a journalist that you're not necessarily, you don't have to be combative, but be persistent and keep asking. Because sooner or later, they can't answer those questions. Because once you shed the light on what's happening, it falls apart.
2: Yeah, uh, there's so many examples where this past year, these school districts just do nonsense. Like, in Centennial Elementary School in Denver, they literally now have family of color playground night. And when I saw that, you know, on the the picture of that, I thought of myself as a four-year-old girl coming here from India at Martin Luther King Elementary School in Piscataway, New Jersey, getting a memo that, oh, I go to the segregated night playground. How awful that would have made me feel, right? And, and that's where I know where do you doing want to play things. with
1: your friends? You don't yeah. care what they look like. Yeah.
2: And my friend ended up being, you know, this lovely girl who um, we would race together on the baseball field, you know, and and Barbara's her name. She's my Facebook friend now. Um, I became her pen pal after I moved to West Virginia, where my best friend was Karen Svoboda, introduced me to slumber parties in America. And did it matter that Karen was white? Barbara was white. They were just great people, right? Well, you would they never have even noticed
0: race. Right, you didn't care never, as no, a kid. And right, now what they're telling exactly. kids as early totally. as kindergarten right. is that, identify everything by race. You can't not see race. Right. Everything and, is race. Everyone is and
2: victim to your
1: point, oppressor. Race, sex, and gender. Race, right, sex, exactly, and gender. Because one of the things, we have a, a tip line. We, YF.org is our website, but yf.org slash tips. We get these amazing tips. Oh, fantastic. And they're from, co- started out being from colleges. So we still get a lot of them on this very subject. But one of them that was so eye-opening on this point was uh, last year about this time going into February, uh, Black History Month, and a tip came in from Iowa State. The student wasn't talking about the campus, but rather the local community, the, the, the local school district in Ames, Iowa. Oh yeah, so not San Francisco, right? Right, not not New York City. Well, and so what were they doing? They were partnering with BLM, the organization. You probably got it right there. I got
2: it right here.
1: So they had BLM Week of Action, and they started. They didn't just go through high school. They started in. Preschool and right. kindergarten. What
2: is this book that exactly. I've got here?
1: What we believe. And well, what
2: is it? A coloring
1: book. It was the coloring pages yeah, exactly right. out it's there. And, and, and just the folks who are listening who don't see it, it had transgender characters on some of the coloring pages. And they let these uh, you know four and five year olds decide, I'm gonna color this picture and, and decide whether I wanna be a, a girl or a boy or somewhere in between. Right. This is exactly what DeSantis was talking about in Florida yesterday this is not whatever your belief is on this issue yeah. you can debate that all day on the subject matter no child in right. kindergarten should be be t- talking about that color picture of your favorite pet or your you know your dog or your friend or whatever do that but but don't start this indoctrination right. at that point out there
2: and that's that's what, and they've tried to conflate things so that you know It's 21st century everyone gets it you know everybody has a right to live and let live but the idea of indoctrination to children is what's troubling and that's troubling to anybody who has a sensibility about child development i talked to one psychologist and she said what's happening is that they are damaging children during those critical years of child development, you know, mm-hmm. causing them confusion and bringing all, in all these questions about identity yeah. in, intentionally. And yeah. that's
0: dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, I got a lot of pushback is you're calling this indoctrination. It's not really indoctrination, but it is. But yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean,
2: you know, you could call um, it education. Right. But there is negative education too. There is there. It's not positive. You can um, grow many which ways. You can grow in, in a negative path or a positive path. And this is just negative.
0: It's for sure negative. Right. I mean, it's it's, it's divisive. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, that's in that's a, the way. irony. For right. all
1: the talk about unity, inclusion. What we're talking about inclusion. Right. supposed right. like, to be inclusion. It's just the opposite. It's the exact. The whole strategy right. here is to pit one group versus another. The, instead of saying you know. I've said for a long time for students that are part of our program, I don't care whether you're young or old, rich rich or poor, black or white, I don't care what you look like. Our goal, because we love America, should be that everyone in America has access to the same freedoms and same opportunities that people long before us did. And if there's barriers to those opportunities, we should pull those back, but it shouldn't be uniquely based on one class or one well, race or one gender. That goes back
0: to what you said before, which a lot of people say, and I agree with, which is at the heart of this is Marxism, yeah. which is trying to divide, right, it then it was class, yeah. and now it's identity Marxism or whatever you want to call it. I mean, in my view, is this is really about tearing down society. Yes,
2: basically yeah, basically the fight at TJ was specifically about removing the merit-based, race-blind test, and bringing in a popularity contest that was going to do racial, social engineering to the numbers of kids. Right. And and why I'm can I, why I'm just certain that we will win is. We have won there, we won in court, we took this to federal court through Pacific Legal Foundation representing the Mm -hmm. parents, Coalition for TJ, and we just got a ruling a month ago that said that the school system was violating the 14th Amendment, which is equal opportunity under the law, exactly the point you just made. And guess what? That's the school board that's fighting it, just like the school boards fought it in the 1950s to keep segregation and who is running those school boards that are fighting it unfortunately like i told you 120 democrats on the fairfax county school board in the 1950s it was called the massive resistance to integration and now it is a new massive resistance to humanity in our society and we have to hold them accountable. Just bring back the history books, you know, and how they were well, actually the. Regressive. That's one of
0: the problems. I, which was you alluded to this before, which is we don't teach history. Right. We don't. And you said during the you know last two years of COVID, which we haven't really taught anything to kids, which is despicable how we treated children. But we haven't taught history properly in this country in generations. Ronald I
1: Reagan gave his farewell address January of 1989. I, I would. Uh, uh, challenge people to go, it's not a long thing to read, but go back and read it. You can YouTube it, you can watch it actually if you want. But go back, besides talking a little bit about, you know, how happy he was that things got better during their eight years, he gave this prophetic warning. He said that while we've while we brought back patriotism in America, we haven't reinstitutionalized it. And he gave a warning, this is really interesting, he gave a warning to parents going into the 1990s. So parents of millennials, and particularly interesting, about how we haven't done enough to teach American history mm-hmm. and to be a part of shared civic ritual, which back then probably seemed ridiculous. But I remember last year even watching, not just the stuff we're talking about here, but even Mark Cuban at the Dallas Mavericks said they weren't gonna play the national anthem anymore. Right. Now, I sound like an old man, but when I was a kid, it didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter your politics, right. you stood for the national anthem, you put your hand over your heart, mm-hmm. those were just shared civic rituals. Right. And they're trying to tear those apart now to your point about this idea that that's part of this larger strategy to to pit one against another. We don't want that because the places around the world that have done that, those are disasters. They don't end well.
2: No. Well, you know, I I remember the day that I put my hand over my heart for the first time as an immigrant um, Mm. to National Anthem. Mm. And I was, they call it the green monster, right? The the seats in the back at Fenway Park. Um, And I remember that and it was just so beautiful. It was such a great experience. But you know, what was happening, it's interesting. So 1989, it's a speech, and I have before us also the Big Red Book, that James Lindsay calls the Big Red Book, the Red Book on Critical Race Theory. And let me see, I marked the year it was published, 1995. So 1995, this idea of dividing people through the lens of race emerges, gets into the education school. But it's been in the education school
1: a long time. Rules for radicals, 1960s, marching through the institutions of higher learning, but then eventually made their way into schools, which is part of the goal, into culture, into big tech communications. You see it. The, the, the one part to be uh, optimistic about, we talked about before in optimism though, is when you think of the odds we face, yeah. it's remarkable that everybody hasn't gone crazy woke. Yeah. Uh, but there are enough, I mean, it's the power of the ideas that are on our side that we're, we're even making some you know some inroads here because the ideas are powerful than the over, overwhelming odds that we face. So let me follow so with it's that. It's gone to woke, 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 baby. woke, woke baby, baby now, baby. Baby. this
2: cardboard book but that is, I'm holding. That's, so since the years of, um, you know, Critical Race Theory, 1990s, and then This is the Journey, a little cute cardboard book that's time. This to is only kids. taught in law
0: schools, yeah. right, and the then Red Book, and, and now this, this is taught, taught in the preschools.
2: Yeah, exactly. So they have, they, they have penetrated into our, into our society, but so have a lot of other bad ideas through the right. history of time, right? But
0: th- there's always, this is kind of my thesis, there's always been bad ideas. Marxism right. has existed for a long time. You know, there's, there's a lot of bad ideas out there, right? How did they take over? because they seemingly have taken over, and I think that's the more interesting question. Not why are there bad ideas, right. but how did they take yeah, over? And,
2: and that's where journalists are so critical, like to follow the money, to follow the contracts, to see who's getting funded. And But a lot
0: of journalists have become <laughs> oh, yeah. activists, just like the teachers have become activists. Because they're intimidated right? as well.
2: Yeah, they are. They, they um, will write to their editors and say that they're being racist. Did you see one college just pulled an article because they said that they didn't have enough non-white uh, people commenting as Is that right? uh, yeah yeah so they pulled the the editors apologized and then pulled the article and so of course that's a nice concept of having representation but it's also a silencing of many people and a shaming and that's where it's to me it's so simple like you don't have to become an expert in critical race theory you just have to understand two values do you think it's okay to dehumanize another based on their characteristics and their traits? And second, do you believe at all that it's okay to shame another person based on their identity? And and those are two principles yeah. that I think most reasonable people reject.
1: Well, and you ask about how did it get this far? If you really look, and again, it does go back in many ways back to Solinsky and even before that, this yeah. march into higher education. But I think a lot of people even going into just a few decades ago said, okay, well, that's college. Right. Keep your head low. It don't say anything to disrupt your your professor and get a bad grade. Um, you get out of college, you go in the real world, and all all will be good. Right. Well, now corporations are woke, right. and, and our students are so indoctrinated that that's not happening. That was a part of their their strategy, and so we've got to speak up sooner. You can't just wait along the way. The idea was that colleges, you know, really are are the the looking glass into the future as to where things are at. And, I joked about this this last year, but if we were to close colleges again, it would do more to stop the, the, the spread of communism than it would the spread of COVID. Um, but unfortunately that's, right. that's going into K through 12, and not just in the government run schools. You know, again, oh. this is an eye opener. There's a lot of private, even oh. faith-based, oh, well, that's faith-based institutions faith-based. where you're gonna stand yeah, up yeah. and go, no, 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 this, is, this yeah. is seeping in there as well.
0: This is everywhere. I mean, this is, I mean, my, you know, my daughter's background, which is, which is you know elite private school in New York City, they went so much further than, than the public, the government-run schools. Why? Because they have so much money. They have these huge endowments. They can yeah. spend an enormous amount of money to bring in these consultants to do it. Uh, and then it seeps down into the government. But you, you absolutely see this. And big, tell basically.
2: everyone, Andrew, who is the entity, the organization that is putting a lot of the indoctrination in all the private schools? The, the
0: NAIS, the National Association of Independent Schools. Yes. So one of the big ideas here is that you have You've got monopolies right right we have the teachers unions as monopolies For you have schools, now, the legal right. profession you have the aba is pushing wokeness the right. american medical association the american
2: psychological mm-hmm. association everywhere so in private schools sure, you
0: have this national association of independent schools yeah. which is these schools are supposed to be independent they are not independent right. now this is all coming down from this central agency mm-hmm. pushing these woke doctrines training the students training the board of trustees training the heads of school
2: yeah And so what you end up is these this kind of woke grooming journey that schools go on and corporations. There's some you know Instagram page that'll say black at Lowell High School, you know, and then then oh no, we have a problem. We have to get the consultant who does the equity audit. Oh, the equity audit finds out that you have to have an anti-racism program. Oh my goodness, and that's gonna cost tens of thousands of dollars. But, and it's multi-year. Oh, and then once- and it never ends. It, yes, it There's never no ends. ends. Right. There's
0: no end. There's and now they've form. got
2: the COVID piggy bank. Now they've got all this money, call it a slush fund, really, for yeah. what it is. And it's all this money that they're putting into social and emotional learning to try to cast our children all as not resilient as you were saying you know not actually teaching them resilience but teaching them that they're victims now of this entire process and so fragile that they now need indoctrination so well, it
1: goes back to disclosures when you're talking about reporting that the more light you can shed yes. on this the better at all different levels not just in schools but even in world corporations for blm the organization i mean you look for all the talk and hype about this there's next to no disclosure as to where all those millions of dollars, all these corporations basically is blackmail money to leave me alone. Don't, don't, don't attack me, don't protest me, here's some money. They can't account for where that's at. The most that we see publicly that we do are literally this Marxist mansion. These folks that took on millions of dollars, bought multiple mansions. The closest I think we got is in Baltimore, where you just had someone in BLM indicted uh, for corruption there as well. But but you have story after story after story like this. And, and people have just got to wake up. Any other nonprofit, any other organization, they would say, no, we want to see your 990. We want right. to see your, your accountability, yeah. what's your board, what are your standards, particularly for someone you had invested in before. And yet they don't do that. So again, it's in all these different areas, it's, it's about engagement and pushing back. And if we just let things happen, right, it's going to keep happening.
2: And, and being afraid to speak up. But But the stories that you're talking about Um, It was Reuters that followed the money on Black Lives Matter, the corporation. Then it was a journalist in LA that followed the property records of of one of the founders. And so it is journalism that and good journalism many in well, the journalism mainstream journalism is the fourth
0: branch of government right right yes. it's the fourth yes. check-in balance like right? yes. you need it yes. to expose
1: well the of a free society in a free to society we teach right. our national journalism yeah. students i was just yeah. talking to them the other day about this and one of the things i literally said was yeah. follow the money yeah you know be yeah. curious don't the, the, one of my problems with the media today is, is that most aren't biased as much as they are lazy Man. you know Twitter's yeah. like the worst part of that everybody sees a tweet and they all follow the same story instead of saying what's going on over here let's don't let my views drive the story. Let the facts drive yeah. the story. What a remarkable concept!
2: I'm gonna. Um, I live right down the road. I'm gonna come back here for any any of our yeah. journalism students who want to learn how to how to identify a 990. Where do you go? I actually got a PI license in Virginia. Oh, yes, sick. I did because. $500, five nights with one of the most, you know, bigoted people I've ever met. But and nonetheless, I got my little license at the end of it all and my certificate. And it's because you are like, and I, and I tell moms and dads too, you're, you're Nancy Drews and your Hardy Boys out there. You know, become a citizen journalist set up a substack, set up a medium account, set up a patch.com account. They're all free. You know, put out your own newsletter and report. And and ultimately truth is the ultimate defense, right? Everybody knows that. Right. Truth is what we will put out forward. And And then they go after the moms. Like we had special ed moms here in Fairfax County that got sued by the school district because they made, the school district made a mistake releasing too many documents in a FOIA request. And the moms published it because that's what they do. They were they were oh, careful, yeah. but the school system went after them as if they were you know now the enemy, yeah. right? And these moms have a blog, and and that's where they got the information out. So anybody can do this.
1: It's why long term something we did actually in Wisconsin, not just in those changes for the government run schools, but we we took Milwaukee, which was the longest running parental choice program in the country, it goes all the way back to 1990 and we expanded it statewide. Now, it has some caps. I'd love to see future leaders lift those, but you know, let the funding follow the student. Yeah. And if right. the funding follows the student, doesn't mean if, you, if your kid, I mean, I, I look at my, my children when they graduated from high school, one went to Marquette University, which was a, a, a Christian-based Catholic Jesuit institution. The other went to the University of Wisconsin, obviously a government institution. Nobody looked at me like I was crazy because they each had a path that they wanted right. to follow for higher education. To me, let the same thing be true with K through 12 education. Some kids, the right school might be a government-run one. If it's a good one, accountable one, accessible one, do it, but it might be private, it might be charter, it might be a homeschool opportunity. It's a twofold process though. Give the, have the, stu- the money follow the students instead of the systems, so students instead of systems, and then parents have to step up and say, because this is part of the challenge before some of this happened is you said, oh, I'll just let, you know, your realtor told you you're in a great school district and you bought the house. The Chamber of Commerce reinforced it. Along the way, you just believed that this school system was great. and You didn't really check into it. Right. And so just having the money follow the student isn't enough if parents aren't engaged with saying what's actually being taught or not taught in some cases. And if parents are engaged and given that opportunity through transparency, What's happening here? What are they being taught? How do they compare with other schools? I think long term, that's where the truth really helps, particularly with education.
2: Yeah, we were able to do this in Virginia, right? We challenged, we made, we asked questions. And as you mentioned earlier, Terry McCullough said that we, the parents, shouldn't have a say in education. And what happened? He lost. He lost big once these so, signs went out. So
0: you single-handedly got Glenn Youngkin? Okay. No. No. Oh, you at had all, a lot to do with it.
2: Not at all. What, it what? was a whole movement, the Mama, Bear, okay. movement, the Mama exactly. Bear movement, exactly. And yeah. a few
0: dads here and there. Yes. Is anything changed? I mean, there's still yes. stuff going on, but yeah. has anything positive so much, changed since? So much. So much has
2: changed. In, For example, they were going to dumb down math. Uh, they were going to, you know, because the the challenge is, equity grading, right? Yeah. And and they were going to, you know, get, remove um, the advanced advanced learning in in our school system. And do you know for Glenn Youngkin, one of the biggest applause lines he got was that he was gonna bring math back. Like who <laughs> knew math was so hot, right? But, but, what, but people know, right, that you need math. You need math for your kid to be able to advance in sciences. And there's a reason why, you know, China and India have so much advancement in the sciences because the kids are advanced at the early ages. So they brought back the advanced math first action. He had the first executive order was to get rid of critical race theory and divisive um, education in our school system. And so they did a 30 day report, wipes clean the equity um, program that they had. But guess what I just saw yesterday? The teachers union has literally taken everything that was there during the Northam administration yeah. for the divisiveness of equity. Literally loaded it onto their own website so that it's not lost in history. And they are um, breaking news. Again, the attorney general for Virginia is filing a- Who's a YAF
1: alum, by the way. What's that? Who's an alum of our organization. Oh, wonderful. Derek's a great guy. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Jason. Yeah. Jason Mieres is filing a, um, a friend, what do they call them? The amicus brief. Amicus. Amicus brief, amicus brief supporting our parents while the administration before was actually fighting our parents, right? So now we have them beside us. They named um, a school board member, former school board member into the superintendent's office, Elizabeth Schultz. They brought this amazing superintendent from Wyoming. And what I've heard is she wanted to come here because she saw the parents. You know, she saw us engaged. And so she wanted to be engaged. So Jillian Ballow's her name. Um, Amy Kadera is the education mm-hmm. secretary, and it was the previous education secretary that pushed this removal of merit from our number one high school in America. So that's when we learned, like, oh, you know, just imagine we're just parents and you don't realize mm-hmm. that these decisions are being made without you. But this is the progressive mantra, no decision, you can't talk about me without me, but they sure were.
1: Well, and, and think about the, the things they were proposing before that you've now started to yes. see changes on. Yeah. Uh, I always felt at the time when it first came up, uh, before these changes, that it was what uh, one former president years ago called the racism of low expectations. Uh, yes. That, that uh, and but it ties very much into what we were talking about before about Marx. the idea is that if one has the only way to, give, to get the other up there is to take from the other. You gotta lower
0: everything. Right. right. Which is raise everything up, you lower. Which, it. which
1: education but. is actually a great example. I often use education as an example of how to counter that from an economic standpoint. Right. Uh, when we're speaking and say at a college uh, classroom, I'll say you know here we're looking at all these people here just imagine hypothetically the people in this section are a's the people in this sections are c's and d's um so to even it out i'm going to take from some of the a's and give it to some of the others well the kids always you know it's a great way to say well that's not fair you know i earned this why would i work so hard said, well the answer in education in that in that example is you don't take from the a's or the higher students to give the other you you help the other students maybe through right. a tutor through an extra program some other way to get them up to to get b's and, and a's as yeah. well um, that's a great example for economic policy, but in this case, the same thing holds true with eco- with education. Right. You but know, we hard. don't have to we don't have to lower standards to lift people up. We but have to means, find ways to lift them up. Uh, right. means, tutoring, help, assistance, whatever but that's like hard. You, yeah, and that means the teachers have to. Really well, it's a lot work. easier right. when you're, particularly in urban schools across yep. America, are sadly. Uh, probably one of the most racist things out there are the lock the teachers unions have on so many of these schools to keep them from getting the education these students need access to. So if you actually did that, you could lift all boats and actually say, we can all help folks get it. But it's a lot easier for them to teach them to be activist and, and right. you know involved in all these other subjects that aren't going to get them a job or a career when they're done.
2: Right.
0: right. But that, I mean that, that we don't allow charter schools in most of the blue states, or they're right? capped. Yeah. I mean, and these are these are these oases of good, you know, right. in in you know low socioeconomic areas.
1: Which charter and choice often, and, and the data shows it. For yeah. example, in Wisconsin, Milwaukee in particular, they don't just help the students of those schools; they actually raise the expectation at the school kids in the government-run schools because now they got competition. Yeah, that's it so works cool. everywhere else. Life. Right. Why is it, you know, why is it that education is the only place where we don't think competition's a good thing? You, you do it even with government you know, in higher ed, mm-hmm. you do it with daycare, you do it with all these other things in life, but suddenly now it's bad if it's in K through 12 education because the block, the lock that right. uh, the union bosses have had.
2: And what they try to do is shame anybody who accomplishes and achieves. So what they would do is not only call our families who are mostly Asian, mostly immigrant, um, Um, white adjacent but they also started calling us resource hoarders so in their economic model we're the resource hoarders now because your child happens to go to a school that they tested into and then you are you know a cheater they actually said started saying that um, the education secretary said that if you take a test prep class it's akin to doping in sports (laughs) Can you imagine so that is the destructive, you know, ideology of of the of those educrats.
0: But this goes against American founding principles. Yeah. Right. Meritocracy, individualism, work hard. Right. Right. And particularly particularly when when you think about American
1: immigrants. some of the some of the the people that those same uh, administrators politicians will claim to be for why do most immigrants come to america why do we have more immigrants four times more foreign born citizens than any nation in the world we're the most racist country in the world right <laughs> because a million every year come why because of that american That's dream true. Right. To say I'm not, I, I, it doesn't matter what class I was born in, the country I came from. I can come to America right. and enjoy the same freedoms and opportunities as someone else who was born into the most elite of, of, yeah. of families possible.
2: And you know, it's the
0: American um, dream. It's American dream, and now we're teaching our kids right. That the this opposite. is
2: and and to yeah. that to the point of the image that you were pointing out of George Washington on the boat. Um, we were lectured that you know not by the principal Ambonitodibus in the summer of 2020. Um, that not only did we need to check our privileges, but she said that we needed to change the mascot, which was the colonial, because it was a symbol of this racism of colonialism. And I just was like, you have not talked to our parents because I'm a, the first generation born in India, post-colonialism. So my parents literally lived mm. under white supremacy yeah. that they always talk about. They lived under colonial rule my mom got a cadbury chocolate on ni- in 1947 at the at the convent that she was attending for school as a day student my dad watched the indian flag go up and the british flag go down and where did they choose to emigrate to to america because the colonial spirit here inspired the colonial, you know, the, those in India that were fighting for freedom, and then Mahatma Gandhi inspired Martin Luther King. So it's mm-hmm. in history that we can learn the best of lessons, right? We have to understand where we went wrong, but we can grab great lessons from history.
1: And, and right, and just because a person has faults, and we all have faults, Right. Uh, that doesn't detract from the ideas and the principles they fought for. You think about, you talk about Thomas Jefferson, think about that Declaration of Independence. Um, While he personally, like me and all others, had had things that weren't right about him, you look at that declaration for a more perfect nation that kept growing. So we we started with this idea that all people are created equal, uh, even if we didn't live up to every bit of it from the various earliest parts of, of the founding of this nation, the declaration was made that we are all created equal, that our rights come not from the government but from God, right. from our Creator, and spelled out what those rights were, and then defined that the government's role is to protect those rights, not to give us those rights. Which is a, an important reminder, particularly when we face these challenges, yeah. that thank God we live in a republic, mm-hmm. uh, because a republic says even if right even if your views at that moment are in the even significant minority of views, you still are guaranteed those rights that go all the way back to our founding and that are, de- are de- explicitly protected in our Constitution, which, as you mentioned, added over time, the 13th, the 14th, the 15th, the 19th Amendments, which were corrected some of the problems we right. had in the past. Right, very good point.
0: Okay, last question, because we're out of time. You're optimistic. You, you you're can optimistic. tell
1: we're a little excited about no, they, this, I, right? I don't think we've <laughs> taken a breath up here. <laughs> I ourselves. know. I
2: Opti- am optimistic. Optimi- okay. I'm optimistic because um, it's the only choice we have we cannot surrender the nation we cannot surrender the schools and we cannot surrender our children and their hearts and their minds uh, i i am absolutely absolutely certain that uh that we will move forward always towards goodness mm-hmm. and that we have to only overcome our own fears and acknowledge them my heart trembles every time i go before my school board trust me that when my they now pick our names out of a hat like a lottery system and and then you know you feel a duty when your name is picked and i go up there and i don't want to be doing it but we do and that's where they say courage is overcoming your fears, acknowledging it, but speaking up anyway. And, and nobody has to do it in the same way, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has their own role in society. Journalists have a great role, just like you said, exposing sunshine and light. And, and I know that we have a movement. You know, We've created a movement that is not dependent on any institution. We don't depend on the government for this. We just depend on our own
1: hearts and we're there.
0: And Governor, you, you speak to, I mean, work I'm with students. I'm totally positive. Students.
1: And, and, and okay. I wasn't before, I would be just after hearing you. But oh, uh, but but, but seriously, the we I, I, were talking about the founders. And I, when I was a kid growing up in school, I was total geek, thought of the founders like superheroes, bigger than life. you have a life. favorite? Um, I was wide open. It was kind of like I, I loved... Uh, the the Justice League and so for me the Justice League as a kid was uh, was the folks at Independence Hall. But I our family is poor, so we never really got a chance to go out to Washington or Philadelphia until I was an adult. And I remember one day getting up early in the morning to go to Independence Hall, and I was waiting to go in. I thought, oh, okay, here they're bigger than life in the room. If you ever been there's not much different than the room we're sitting in here at, at Young America's Foundation. And I looked at the chairs and I looked at the desk and I thought, okay, they're older, but they're, but they're not unlike ones we might sit in today. And it was just such a clear a reminder that those individuals who stood in that room were, were ordinary people. Right. Who did extraordinary things right they were just as fearful uh in fact some ways might be even more because they weren't just risking their political careers or their fortunes in some cases they were literally going to risk their lives they were they they were all going to be this didn't work out they
0: were were they're
1: gone and and yet they stood up for this truth that, that they knew not only for themselves but for future generations and it was such a great reminder of not just them but now you think back over time which is why teaching history is so important of all these moments in American history, when all despair, when everything seemed to be the darkest. Right. But what's the old adage before, you know, it's, it's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah. And so I think we're on the dawn of, of parents and citizens and great Americans, uh, not people that just stood in boats or Independence Hall, but stood in classrooms and school board meetings and other places across America doing exactly what we need, which is standing up and standing up for what's right.
0: Absolutely. Terrifically said. Well, on that note, thank you both, Governor Scott Walker, Azra Nomani, for joining Take Back Our Schools. Yes, thank you, Andrew.
2: You're amazing, and we are all in this together. We are
0: all in this together. I will go back. We hope you enjoyed that conversation that we did live down in Reston, Virginia, hosted by the National Journalism Center with former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker and parent activist Asra Nomani. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review on wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, and we hope you did enjoy it. And we'll be back soon for another episode of Take Back Our Schools.